Hey everybody, welcome back to the Grey Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s in continuity order. I am so happy to be recording my favorite episode of the month. We are not doing a trial today. Instead, we are going to be doing a tribute episode to one of my favorite characters of all time, the incredible Candy Southern, but we're going to do it in a way that you may not be ready for. Before we begin, I'm going to give a trigger warning. Often on this show, I try to take time to put things in the place of cultural understanding and political correctness. Today, we are going to spend the first half discussing smut, uh, pornography. The content is going to be pornographic. There will be crass language about sexual things as well as sexual terms as well as... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just just be ready. So we're not going to give a content warning after this. You want to make sure that your children are not in the room for this one. Put on your headphones if you are in a public place because you're going to hear dirty words rather like it's an unedited uh, episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. We're not going to worry about what we have to say. We're just going to say it. So please hear that content or trigger warning as we begin. There will be discussion about rape, incest, uh, sexual coercion, ritualistic abuse, etc., etc. So listen at your own risk, take breaks as needed. You will hear all of us discuss both the joy and the stress of what it was like to visit the content we are about to discuss in a few moments. To introduce today's content, Candy Southern is a character that many X-Men fans remember. Even when you think of the X-Men's human allies, your brain goes to Moira McTaggart, except she's a mutant now, Valerie Cooper, Trish Tilby, Stevie Hunter, maybe you think Lee Forrester or Charlotte Jones. Uh, Candy is an acquired taste. She wasn't part of the Claremont stories. Her history comes together in like fits and starts. Uh, It's all over the Marvel Universe. She's picked up by different writers as an ancillary character, generally connected to the Angel. And uh, she's somehow just magical. I love this character, and I've loved her for a long time. We're going to take time to talk about her, but she first appears in uh, the X-Men number 31, which is also the first appearance of the Cobalt Mad, if you are (laughs) interested in that story. She's a love interest for Angel, and Roy Thomas names her Candy Southern after a famous book called Candy, by the writer Terry Southern. And we're going to talk about this book in this in just a minute. And boy, is it a conversation. Then yeah. she's gone. We're going to get to her in a little while, like I said. But we're going to be spending the first part of our show today discussing the book Candy by Terry Southern before we get to the character Candy Southern. And when I ordered this book, I was not quite sure what the experience was going to be. But I have never read something more horrible. But also there's a magic to it that I really love at the same time. So I invited some of my closest friends who might be comfortable talking about smut. And uh, for the first half of today's episode, I'm going to repeat this is the last time. Please do not have your children in the room as you listen. Please put headphones in if you are in public. We are going to get downright crass and dirty. So I'm going to have each of my uh, my guests today introduce themselves, let us know your name, your gender pronouns, and I have two questions for you today. Number one, what do you love about Candy Southern? And number two, give me a one-word reaction to the book Candy by Terry Southern. And that's where we're going to start our conversation today. Let me begin with my friend Arturo Rojas. Hi, Arturo. 
Hi, hi, Chad. Happy to be here. Uh, Arturo, he, him, pronouns. And uh, whew, why do I love Candy Southern? I would say in a word, her pluck. She has she has pluck. The kids got spunk. I love her. I love her vibe. I love that she's just uh, a, a, an innately capable lady. She's you know she's she's great. Um, I and if I had to say a word for Candy, I don't want to be dramatic, but trauma. <laughs> Fantastic. It's so good to see you, my friend. Uh, let's go over to Alicia Wilder next. Hi, Alicia. Hi, I'm Alicia. She, her, hers. I'm so excited to be here. And um, before I answer your question, I just like really wish and hope that there is at least one person listening right now that is in a public place that heard Chad say, no, that heard Chad say, you know, put your headphones on and all the people around them watched them put their headphones on and get ready for their smut. I hope you enjoy. Um, but what, what do I like about Candy Southern? Um, I really like that she feels very strong and present, even though she's not a super powered being, you know, like she's there and she's always getting shit done and like feels like a great part of the team, even though she's not technically part of the team. Um, and my one word for the book is just woof. <laughs> uh, over to my friend, Amanda Martini next. Hi, Amanda. Hi, I'm Amanda Martini. Uh, gender is a construct. Um, I just ask that uh, when I am Demanda Martini, that we are respectful of the fact that I put a lot of work into looking like Demanda Martini. Um, so, I mean, unfortunately, like right now, I just have my little martini earrings on because, uh, yeah, anyway, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I love Candy Southern because even though she is not a Claremontian dame, she still is very much like that prototype, like that, like that woman who is very capable, very assertive, get shit done. Um, obviously, so like I knew who Candy Southern was, like I've just always known her as, um, Archangel's girlfriend, and uh, I was I was introduced to her uh, her like weird like phalanx clone that happened in like the early three hundreds of the um, Uncanny X Men, uh, which is the cosplay that I did at FlameCon last year when I was uh, with Cerebral Podcast. But her like really like her cult following now I think is really due to like Cerebral Podcast. Like re and Sarah, you were also on that on that episode, correct? Yep, yes, I were. was half of that episode, Which, <laughs> and uh, it goes for uh, like five hours. So. Yes, yes, and it's it's so good again. And sorry not to like skip ahead. So spoiler alert: Sarah's here too. <laughs> um, but I, again, I really feel like that episode like really kind of cemented her like sort of place in in our little, uh, especially queer X Men hearts. Um, to describe this book, I'm gonna one word. I'm gonna say wild. Uh, but like capital W space, capital I space, capital L space, capital D. Like this is wild. Like you feel like you've just read the craziest thing you've ever read. And then you're like, I still have 20 pages. How can this get worse? And then you get 10 more pages and you're like, but wait, how can this possibly get worse? And then it ends and it's like fiend end of scene. And you're like, this is 
absolute insanity. It is w- wild, wild. Good grief. Over to <laughs> you guys. There's gonna be a lots of laughter here. We've all been through a trauma together, and we're just here to share it with each other today. Uh, let me turn it over to Sarah Century next. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> yes, I am happy to be here. Although I might be one of the children not allowed in the room, from what I can tell. While I was reading, I was like, "Am I? I'm 40, but am I old enough to be reading this? Actually, because I'm not <laughs> sure that I am." Um, I took some notes. So I always, yes, she, her is my gender pronouns. Uh, what don't I love about candy? I mean, yeah, the Cerebro conversation just came up already. And so if you want to hear just five hours of me telling you exactly what I love about this character, and it turns out to just be like every 30 or 45 seconds, I'm just like, I love her. And Connor's like, I love her. (laughs) And so I mean, I guess I just spoiled that whole episode for you, but you know, God bless. And oh, it's, worth, it's worth the listen. <laughs> I yeah, I we I it was foretold too because I guessed it on the karma episode, and there was a moment where we both realized that we're the only people that we knew that like love loved Candy Southern, and so it was like decided on the spot. The rest was history. And uh, for what I think about, yeah, I took notes on my hand here, and what I think about the book. <laughs> <laughs> the book Candy, I just wrote horror dismay. <laughs> uh, and then last but not least, my handsome friend, Justin Wilder. Hello, Justin. Hey, hey, hey. Justin Wilder, he, him, pronouns. And whoa, um, you know, Candy, I only knew Candy from the handful of appearances that I knew her. I did not know to the extent of how strong and badass she was, how just overall confident she is in every situation. And it honestly, reading those issues that I had read her in before, the, the classics when she shows up in the Phoenix saga, reading it again after reading Candy, the book, and trying to imagine, okay, like this is this is Candy Christian grown up in a sense. And, and, and that just, I feel like, tainted my view. Um, <laughs> if I had to say one word about candy the book it would be no no spells no uh just like i loved it i loved being uncomfortable by it but as demanda said like i just how i was certain i was looking for how is it going to top itself in this chapter like what is going to make me feel more uncomfortable now than it did 20 pages ago because hey whoa there it is almost missed it but no how how does one top themselves right right Chapter uh, the whole book chapter. is people topping themselves on this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lastly, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. Candy Southern is one of my all-time favorite characters. Uh, really, truly. I've loved her for a long time. I wrote her encyclopedia entry on the Marvel Appendix many years ago. Uh, Vera Cantor is one of the few characters I love more, but Candy is incredible. If I had to describe my reaction to this book in one word, it would be... Uh, that's all I got. <laughs> it's a rough read. So we're gonna we're gonna spend the first half of today's episode talking about the book Candy. Now, I when I purchased the book, I got the 60th anniversary edition. This book is over 60 years old, and I'm gonna read you the 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 uh, the intro to the book is written by B.J. Novak, like the famous comedy writer from The Office. And he talks about loving this book and what an experience it is. And I'm just going to read the last paragraph of this intro to you to introduce the book today. And then we're going to talk about it. 
Uh, he says uh, he, he wrote he wrote like a thesis in this on college. After reading Candy, I signed up for a meeting with my English professor during the always empty office hours that colleges offer to prove that their star academics are real and approachable people who totally care about students just to try to make sense of Candy, which was not part of the class. I showed up and asked, have you read the book Candy? Yes, nodded Philip Fraser with a smile. Candy by Terry Southern and Mason Hoffenberg. He nodded again. I nodded then too. He nodded again. And I realized I had nothing else to say about it. And he didn't either. I don't know what there is to say about Candy other than, right? And so I said <laughs> that and he nodded again and I left and never went to office hours again. And as far as I know, no one else has ever. So I guess that's really all I have to say about this minor masterpiece, the coolest type of masterpiece, right? So we're going to begin there. This book was written in uh, uh, a formidable time in American history when there is a lot of commentary on feminine development. Uh, the book was published in 1958 under a pseudonym. It's the product of Terry Southern and Mason Hoffenberg. They were trading erotic, ridiculous stories back and forth about a teenage girl who just wants to be needed more than anything, who is the object of lust and manipulation for every man she comes across. This was an era of dime store novels and printed pornography, dirty photos of women sold in CD stores. This book was smut, plain and simple, but there's something magic about it. People started picking up out of picking it up out of the pile and realized the book was saying something. It's parody, it's satire, it's comedy, it's a commentary on society, on the male gaze, on the changing role of women in society. It's about a character who has needs and a sexual identity. It's from the point of view of the female character. This reaction surprised the authors. The book was banned, but then printed and reprinted. In 1968, a movie version of it was made, and I've seen the movie, and we're going to talk about that in a little while. I read this book in uh, 2023 and was horrified. In the 1950s, the FBI banned this book, and they were considering uh, like trying the authors of it. And they had their division look into the book, and they they formed a, a particular report that they sent back to J. Edgar Hoover. And I'm going to read the first two paragraphs of this report. We have reviewed the paperback book titled Candy, as you requested in your memorandum of February 12, 1965. In our judgment, the work is not a suitable vehicle for prosecution. Candy, for all its sexual descriptions and foul language, is primarily a satirical parody of the pornographic books which currently flood our newsstands. Whatever erotic impact or prurient appeal it has is thoroughly diluted by the utter absurdity and improbability of the situations described. It's just a really apt description of this book. I'm going to introduce the character really quickly, and then let's talk about this book and some of our favorite moments and or most uncomfortable moments. The book is about Candy Christian, and God, that name alone. She's a teenager just blossoming into adulthood. At one point in the book, it makes sure to let you know that she uses an extra small tampon. She is obsessed with her actual father, who is obsessed with her. She's turned on by a professor at school who tries to use his talent and discussions about lust and need to get into her pants. She tries to fuck a Mexican gardener to make her dad jealous, but then her dad hits his head and has to go to the hospital. Her he doesn't dad hit his head. Well, he gets stabbed in the head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, he essentially uh, gets lobotomized. <laughs> her dad's twin brother does fuck her in the hospital room on the floor under her dad's bed. 
A doctor who's obsessed with masturbation sedates her and pulls off her panties to explore her and inserts things into her. She moves to New York City, where a man who is a hunchback pleasures her, and then she gets off on his hump. She joins a cult where the cult leader teaches her meditation principles, but really is just fucking her repeatedly. She moves to Tibet, and the book closes when a Buddha statue pierces her rectum, and she accidentally fucks a stranger who turns out to be her dad. No joke, this is the story plotline of this insane... That Cliff's Notes version, like, yes, still shocking, yeah. but like, no, there's more. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, there's <laughs> more, right, no. But that was that was that was incredible, and I feel like that prepares me to read the book now. I've been <laughs> right. like, up and it, all right, now like that's that's insane. But let's get the details. Right. That, that would have been helpful before right. I started with this book because, like, I got wind of like some incest, like the uncle, yes. and I was like, oh, so this is that's going to be like the thing. That's like the <laughs> trauma. No, baby, that's like the that's like the second course. Of yeah, a very long night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I made it sound book. real tame and real succinct <laughs> there, but let me tell you, every page of this book left me like, oh my god, this is wild content for my show alone. But I've never read a book like this. So, so, so the the book, the book, the version that I got, I think it's like the a 1978 reprint, and it's very vintage. Thank you, Chad. Um, it was also very delicate. Like, it's definitely, like, dry rot. It's, like, if you pulled the page just a little too far, like, it would, like, come out or, like, it would, like, break a little bit. And so, like, I was, like, delicately reading this book. And it, I think it, like, sort of enhanced the story. So I'm, like, oh, I have to be very delicate with this. I have to be, like, very, like, I don't know. Uh, it, the book is, okay, so wild and so crazy. Um, but um, I'm glad that you said it already. Like, it is satire, and it is written in a way that makes you feel like you're watching camp. It is very um, B-movie. Like, uh, when I was talking to friends about it, it feels very, like, B-horror movie, where, like, the dialogue is cheesy on purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, I, I feel like it was written, or for those of us who may know what the internet is, like, nifty stories, if you know what mm -hmm. nifty is. <laughs> um, where it's like it's cheesy on purpose to then get to like the smutty parts, and yeah, it's it, so and it and it does and it and it feels a little bit like a satire of like that Lolita trope because like the Lolita, she knows what she's doing, like she is out to seduce men, and Candy is just like, oh, I don't know how it happened. I guess it must be my fault that his penis fell in me, and it's wild. <laughs> It so, is wild. I just I want to throw out there. I you know I mentioned this in the in the green room. So listeners, I actually listened to this as an audiobook, which was a very unique um, experience because, as we'll get into, I mean, there's all sorts of language, racism, ableism, like blatant sexual assault, and it's intense. And it felt like it was like you know penetrating my ear holes repeatedly um but i will say this the reason i bring this up is there's something about listening to this um as as an audiobook that for me anyways i could hear some of the musicality in the way it's written some of the things that would echo so like one thing candy does you know spoiler alert but like when she's seducing emmanuel her mexican gardener 
she's using all the the lines that her professor and can we just say i love some of the naming conventions here like it feels like jk rowling named some of these like professor mephisto turns out to be a bad guy um <laughs> you know we, we've got sylvia semite was uh dr Cronkite's yeah, mother. yeah the, skipping the, ahead the, skipping the, ahead the jewish doctor's mother and it's like really you, yeah. you're like that's the that's okay um but my point being listening to it it kind of makes me feel like yeah all of this that we're saying it is satire like i've come around on this and i feel like this is like a great piece of literature but i know it was just smut so it's like it's become this yeah. art in my head by mistake it feels like you know <laughs> yeah so let's start with the character candy what are your thoughts on this character and the way she is portrayed in this book? Uh, Alicia, do you want to take this one first? Yeah, I really do. Thanks for sensing that from me, Chad. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. This whole book for me was super duper conflicting um, because I have, I have so many feelings and I'm interested to see if Sarah feels similarly to me from like a female perspective of like, I was shocked but also not that shocked. Like I was like, yeah, that seems, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. What else is new? Um, but for me, Candy herself, like she, yeah, she seems a little like ditzy and that whole, like exactly what Demanda said, like, oh my God, how did your penis fall inside me? Like that kind of thing. But also she's very powerful. And that is, I think for me, where my conflict in my brain was coming in, like reading the book, um, because there are moments when like, she knows, she knows what she's doing. Like she's, she knows how to say like, oh my God, I'm poor, help me. But I know exactly that I'm saying this and it's going to get you to do exactly what I want and I need from you by making you feel like you need me. And like, this battle between like her needing to be needed and also the power that she feels being needed. Like that's where I was having a lot of like inner turmoil because I was like, this is wrong, but I'm really turned on right now. And I don't know how to like handle myself because these, these men are taking advantage of her. But I think deep down inside, she knows what she's doing. And she actually like, not every single time, but sometimes is is enjoying it in a in a whole nother way. And I was like, I literally like put the book down and I was like, I don't know who I am anymore. Like kind of how I felt when I finished reading it. But I like Candy. Like I'm I think good for her. I hope she's living her best life out there somewhere in the world. I'm gonna set, with her I'm, father. But I'm gonna set this question up for Sarah in this way. In the early Spider-Woman series, Jessica Drew has a pheromone power that makes every man want her and every woman hate her. And Candy seems to have that story through the book. Every man she meets sees her as prey or conquest and every woman sees her as some sort of threat because other men are looking at her and not them, which is a weird thing. Uh, Sarah, tell me your thoughts on Candy like, as, a, as a character. Oh yeah, well, I've, I've read this book actually twice. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. I read it a long time ago because uh, Terry Southern is uh, he helped spark like the indie film movement of the 1960s. And I'm a huge film nerd. 
So as, you know, like a 20 year old or something, I was just like, oh, what else did Terry Southern write? Uh, <laughs> so, so naive, so young I was. But yeah, and then kind of realizing the connection between candy and candy was like a huge deal for me too. But yeah, it's kind of one of those things like just now reading it back, I was like, what is my life kind of that like, this is a book that I've returned to like, I've never returned to like Treasure Island, right? I read it like once and I'm good. <laughs> like Robinson Caruso. So, you know, great works of literature that people know, but this is the book that I've read twice and seen the film version of, right? So with Candy as a character, I have to say that probably my original opinion of her and my now opinion, it's like in the movie, they make her be like a space alien, right? So it's like, oh, she came to Earth to tempt all of the people and she has space alien powers or something. And it's like, okay, you didn't have to do that, <laughs> though, because like the point of it is everyone just falls all over themselves for Candy. And like that's kind of the point of her as a character is she does have a lot of power. She exerts power over like every single person that she meets. She's messing with everybody. I don't know what the deal is with her and her dad and her uncle. That's all just like too much for me. But then it's also like she has this like whole control thing going on with these people. And uh, yeah, when Livia shows up, she's like, who's she? Like, get her out of here. She's so vulgar. <laughs> and it's like, Candy, you are doing vulgar stuff. We've read the book. It's every page. You're doing something quite vulgar. So yeah, her kind of having this like anger towards Livia, I think is really funny. Livia is also the MVP of this book. I think that Livia is really fun and totally batshit. So we'll talk about her too. But I think that Candy does have kind of just a lot of power, I guess. Like, I don't feel like there's, it's weird to say that about a character who is really just like, you know, horribly pursued by all of these men who should know better, you know, like through the entire book. But I think that that's the satire of it, right? Is, is that they're yeah. just kind of making a comment on like, these are all powerful men and she completely destroys them all. <laughs> like she just walks through their lives wrecking them. And uh, I think that's fun. <laughs> so like, I, I think they're in, in my opinion, they're in kind of lies her power because she is seemingly, again, from the narration of the book, seemingly is completely unaware of what she's doing. So like, us reading it, we're like, no, bitch, you, you you know what's going on. Like, you know what's up. But from the narration, like, from, like, what's actually said, like, she's like, oh, uh, wh what do you mean? Like, I have no idea. And, and it, like, her relationship with Aunt, Aunt Livia, she, again, she thinks her aunt is so crass and so, like, and, and too much. And, uh, again, like, her idea of, like, what's proper um, is so interesting, like, in those chapters with Aunt Livia, because, like, she doesn't follow that <laughs> for like at all, or like the the whole interaction with Derek, the hunchback. Derek, oh, <laughs> Derek, um, that she doesn't, she didn't quite catch his name, but she thinks it's Derek. It's not, not that she thinks it's Derek; she just likes that name, and she's decided right, that that's right. her name now. Yeah. Um, She's like, but, I'll stay true to Derek forever. Forever, <laughs> getting love name. letters in the Himalayas. But, but like her whole interaction with him where she's like trying to show him like, look at, look at this art book. Like the man can't isn't able to like yeah. put 
sentences together. But she's like, isn't this art great? I'm sorry I don't have the good one. We'll just have to deal with this $50 bottle of swill. Like, it's, it like, her her brain is, like, incongruous of, like, it, 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 between that she knows what she's doing, but she has this kind of air of, like, she she's completely and blithely unaware of, like, what it is that's happening. Or... Sorry, and then I'll stop talking for a minute. But like the interaction at the bar before she meets the mm-hmm. gynecologist, which yes. again, r- readers like er, listeners, You're not ready for this that. is like there's there's so much that happens. But like she's like, does anyone know it's playing at the art cinema movie theaters? And of course, like no one's like, no, I have no idea, you weird fucking girl. And then <laughs> and then the the doctor, the gynecologist, is like, well, I can go get you the newspaper that's like literally over there. And like, I can go grab one for you so you can read it. And she's like, oh no, someone will walk in and just tell me what's playing at the art cinema. And it's like, girl, what the fuck are you talking about? And Candy, also- Candy always maintains like plausible deniability. Like yes, she's always, that's what it is. she's always surprised. Even, even when it seems like it's by her design, like she brings the hunchback back to her crib. Like, it wasn't like he followed her or anything. Like, that was, like, overt. And, I mean, way before that. But there's a part of Candy. There's, okay, two things. Sorry, too many thoughts. (laughs) One, Candy is a, has a sophisticated love for the arts. She wants to be worldly and well-read. In a way, this whole book is her, like, spiritual her journey to spiritual enlightenment which sounds corny as fuck but that's kind of what happens she's like freeing herself and discovering herself um but you get few glimpses into her interior but a couple things that stood out is like she likes listening to the opera in the morning you know she likes quoting literature she's she's just you know she's a brain She's definitely much smarter than she appears to be, but she appears to be good grief and oh my gosh and heavens. Yeah. Alicia, what were you going to say? Go ahead. The people, the bringing back up the bar, right? Like there are two guys in the bar who are the only two guys who want candy who don't get her. So that to me says like, that's how I know Candy's smarter than she lets on because everyone else it's like, oh my God, I must have her, has her. Yeah. And those two are trying so hard for so long, and she's just like, but they didn't. Huh? They didn't try to to get that hot puss. Yeah, they, they are. <laughs> they are very upfront with what they want, and are very just kind of over the top with it. Everybody else seemingly has some kind of ploy or manipulation or some kind of story. She feels like, and especially this goes off of the connection to. The beginning where she's kind of regurgitating Mephisto's words to Emmanuel, where. She feels like an amalgam of all the things that she has heard and or experienced on small levels, right? But she's trying to employ them as if they are her depth of understanding beyond what that is. So this motivation to just to please people or to, you know, to be needed is inspired by that one interaction with the professor that guides her entire journey through just, well, and and then her realization of power is over Derek. Like, I can make this guy do things that I want. Give me your hump. I have the power. (laughs) And then just fucking loses her mind. Listeners, I know this feels like a book club that's meeting, and we're talking about a book you didn't read, but if you want to go read it, please feel free. If not, just sit back and enjoy the conversation. A question I have for everybody here is, 
Is there, what would you consider to be the most outrageous moment in this book for you? Which may be re-asked as, was there one moment that made you more uncomfortable than all of the others? Grief, it's daddy. I got it. Justin, do you want to take this? Justin, do you want to take this first? Good grief, it's daddy. I texted Chad. I texted him. I, I was like, what the? I threw the book away. I threw it down on the ground. I was like, I, I was looking for how it was going to keep on topping itself. And I couldn't see that. I wasn't aware that that was coming. I was waiting for that to happen. She finished it before I was. I was like, when? No, but the whole oh. book, I was like, when is she having sex with her dad? Like, when is it happening? Where is it? It has to come. <laughs> At the end, I was like, there you go. There Alicia, do you have a most outrageous moment? I think, like, if, if I'm being honest, the most outrageous moment to me was the bathroom scene with the gynecologist, strictly because I was really like intrigued and interested about the whole like I'm gonna have you stand up on a toilet and then I'm going to put my mouth inside your vagina from there and she's like falling into the toilet and I just wanted to like really understand like the logistics of that situation <laughs> seemed the most outrageous to me um I don't know maybe this is maybe I'm learning something about myself today that like this book didn't startle me as much as maybe it should have I'm not sure. <laughs> But I think like from a logistics standpoint, that was the most outrageous. And the moment where like they people come in and she is like just flat out, just like, I am in the middle of an exam with my doctor. <laughs> like, please leave us alone, you know, like so sure. And just as like a little fun fact, I was talking to a friend of mine who happens to be a history buff, and I was mentioning this book to her. And I particularly mentioned that scene. And I guess like in Victorian times when women were uh, going through hysteria, the way that they would cure them would be like doctors would induce orgasms. And it was said that the French doctors figured they could do the same with their tongues that they could do with their fingers. And I was like, are you are you telling me that French <laughs> doctors just used to like go ham? on their patients just to help them not be hysterical. There are whole plays and movies about this. The movie is called, I believe it's called Hysteria, starring um, Maggie Maggie Gyllenhaal, I think it is. Um, and then and the vibrator the, play? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, the vibrator play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, there, there's, there's a whole thing, like, that was definitely a thing. And, like, one of the reasons that they liked that new doctor in, from the, the play in the movie is the fact that he was younger, so his hand didn't cramp up as much. Uh, Demando, while you're on, what was the most outrageous moment for you? So, so I was gonna say the two things: the the bathroom scene with the gynecologist, only because like when like the room started flooding, which like I guess I like skimmed over a part. I was like, when did it start flooding? Why is there water? <laughs> like that, the, it was outrageous to me, only because it was like it. Fe I feel like the most like contrived, if that makes sense. Like it was like. Okay, sure. What, like, sure, Jan, fine. But, like, the actual thing that, like, made me literally go, absolutely not. Why did we have to, like, go into this? Was when she goes, I don't know if this super jumbo tampon is going to fit in my my small little vagina. She's like, I managed to get it in. I was like, are you, again, this is in the last maybe 10, 15 pages of the book. I was like, are you fucking for real right now? Like, you're in Tibet buying tampons because your period finally started thank god because you've been getting raped by this like 
cult leader. Yoga instructor. Yeah, this yoga instructor. <laughs> and thank goodness, like, you're not pregnant by him. But, like, you're worried about, oh, this tampon's just too big for my little puss. I, uh, I was like, uh, sure. Arturo? There are so many things. And, I, you know, I think we've, we've covered that it just keeps topping itself. But I, so I'll just pick something that to me was just visceral and so horrifically yet artfully written. It's kind of, I don't know, it's art. Um, but when Candy is hooking up with the gardener and their midnight rendezvous, the door fl- open, flings open and it's her dad. And he sees this, oh, daddy, darn you, daddy. And daddy sees what's going on. And it says something like um, something worse than his worst nightmares. Although, and then it goes into this tangent about this dude's worst nightmares. And, you know, I know we gave a trigger warning before. I'm going to give one right now. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. But basically, his worst fear is... Dr. Mephisto banging candy and other people and everybody. And then it starts going to the gardener and to other races and to animals and to every creature on God's green earth, fucking candy in every single hole. And towards the end, in the final act, what makes it the worst is that candy's the one in charge. Candy's the one fucking everyone that's fucking her and and she looks to her daddy and asks him if it is true that there is a small hole in the pupil of the eye because if there is then maybe a tiny animal like a praying mantis could fuck her in that hole to make sure we got all the holes i'm paraphrasing again and i'm sorry i just put all of us through that you guys, that's I'm gonna, what it was. I'm going to read you one paragraph from this book. This is what Arturo's talking about, or if you're ready. And true enough, the door burst open again, at, at, open at that instant, and Mr. Christian appeared, looking like some kind of giant, insane lobster man. At the sight of them, he reeled, his face going purple, then hatefully black, as he crashed sideways against the wall, smashed back by the sheer impact of the spectacle itself. It was not as though he couldn't believe his eyes, for it was a scene that had formed a part as of many, many of his most lively and hideous dreams. Dreams which began with Candy being ravished, first by Mephesto, then by foreigners, then by Negroes, then gorillas, then bulldogs, then donkeys, horses, mules, kangaroos, elephants, rhinos, and finally, in the grand finale, by all of them at once, grouped around different parts of her, though it was in the finale she who was the aggressor, she who was voraciously ravishing them, frantically forcing the bunched and spurting organs into every orifice, vagina, anus, mouth, ears, nose, etc. He had even dreamed once that she asked him if it were true that there was a small uncovered opening in the pupil of the eye, because if it were, she had said, she would have room there during the finale for a minuscule organ like that of a praying mantis to enter her as well. So that now, actually confronted by the scene, one would think he was not unprepared, yet as dreams of death do not prepare a young man for the firing squad, but perhaps only build to the terrible intensity of it. So Mr. Christian appeared now to be actually struggling, strangling with shock, because this book is rough. (laughs) It's art, though. It's insane. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. But it's like, it's a trick. Uh, Sarah, which moment would you describe as the most outrageous? How are you going to ask me to follow that? So, like, what? 
counter this and say that the moment, <laughs> the thing about this book is, is that there's moments where you really are rooting for candy. And I hesitate to say those words because I think it makes me a bad person, but I am occasionally rooting for her. There is a moment at the beginning where she first meets Derek and she's just like, wow, I can really just like relax and be myself with you and like loves Derek. She's just like, Derek is so cool. <laughs> and it's like her best friend. And honestly, I was like, oh, like, <laughs> like I had like a little like, oh, that's like very heartwarming. And then it was like, never mind. Just kidding. Just kidding. I didn't mean it because of course this chapter ends with like a bunch of like racial slurs just being screamed during sex, which is not a thing I think that um you should do, I guess. <laughs> like we read all about it here, but uh like the, yeah. The, the other so so as someone who used to work with intellectually and developmentally disabled people, like that that entire interaction and then like her talking about Derek afterwards was so condescending yeah. and so uncomfortable for me because it was just like, you actually don't care about this person. You just think that you're better than. So that is why you're interacting with them being like, well, look, aren't I better than you? And the thing is like, that's how she kind of is with everyone like that that was the whole thing with emmanuel that oh like oh we're just having a, a, a like even at the oh, very sure. beginning when she's talking to her dad after talking to professor mephisto she's still very condescending to her dad and like she's just like that that like every sort of like white woman trope of like i'm better than you and it's yeah. uh, and so it's like you want to root for her and like no and, and like she thinks that oh aren't i just being so helpful and so amazing. So and you're like, right. no, no, girl, no. Part part of Derek's appeal is that Candy is walking the streets of New York with her obnoxious friends. How cool would it be if Derek says, oh, hi, Candy. And she's like, yes, yes, it, it doesn't matter. Like, it's terrible that he's a hunchback, but in a way it's almost like, ooh, sigh of relief that that's like the word they chose because oh. it's definitely... I don't know. It's just like a, just ableism and just it's it's really uncomfortable, the whole Derek thing. Um, yeah. Which is part of the charm of this book, weirdly. And I know it's weird to say yeah. it, but all, all of the men in this book are fucking horny idiots. And They're gross. awful. <laughs> except for? Upsy. Philip Upsy. You know, he's the only one that doesn't try to fuck her. He's one of the homosexuals that she escapes from. Again, she escapes from a police raid of a homosexual bar. <laughs> Gay icon, Candy Southern. I really think that Candy, let me say this. I'm going to go on record and say Candy deserves to be like the next like Valley of the Dolls. Like it's this kind of like camp. It, th this should be part of the gay bible like this should be required reading so, so yeah like because reading, I, it, is, it is definitely camp like it is it is very camp, camp. And, and and i you know i just i'll say this like for the like the queer reading of it or whatever um you know because i not being a woman right it, it's reading this it makes me just feel weird so i'm sure it's you know very different for you guys but just like as a queer i kind of felt like I could relate to Candy in some ways. Like, and I specifically refer to like 
you know, my adolescence or early 20s and figuring out my sexuality and experimenting and whatever. And listen, it, like, we're not going to get into all of that, but um, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have been with guys that were, you know, a couple of years older. I had a very like Kitty and Piotr kind of situation going, several of those. Um, but don't shed a tear for me, gentle listeners, because bitch, I was the one playing all those pieces. Like, so I like to read Candy as that, like that she's the one in control. And yeah. I think one thing that's interesting is like, for me, maybe reading this book, I was thinking like, maybe none of this is really happening. And what we're hearing are or reading are like every male's interaction with candy that happens like inside their head. Right. So like when they see candy, this is what they're imagining they're going to go do with her later. And I think like, for me, that's why I wasn't so shocked by the book because I've like braced myself with this idea that like, oftentimes there are going to be men who just think these things about you and you can't stop them. And you have no control over what they do to you in their mind. And then they sometimes verbally express those things or like look at you a certain way. Like as a person also in the performance industry, like I put myself out there in outfits that are revealing sometimes. And I know like I could be go-go dancing at a party and I know I can look and go, oh, that person's having sex with me inside their brain. That person's having sex with me inside their brain or doing things to me inside their brain. So like, I don't, it doesn't, I think that that's like hearing you say what you're saying about like your perspective of reading the book kind of just now made me realize that like, I think I was just thinking of these things as like, yeah, those guys have thought about those things in their minds. And I'm not surprised by that. Like, I'm not surprised that they think that she would just like, you know, fall over or like the the instance where like the uh, messenger shows up and she's like hanging over him and her boobs start like falling out of her robe. I'm like, nah, he's just wishing that was happening right now. He's just imagining that that's what's going to happen. And I think like, that's what's kind of cool about this book is like, it really puts you in that mindset to say like, oh, people are thinking about these things all the time. And we're like putting them in front of you now. So I work I work as a therapist in Salt Lake City. And one of the areas that I specialize in outside of working with the LGBTQ community is working with people who fall into the polyamorous or non-traditional relationship category, which means I have a lot of clients who are currently or formerly have been sex workers. And I am so sex positive. I work with people who have every kind of kink. There is rape fantasy and rape play and knife play and kink play and flogging and all kinds of things that people are into. We all have various kinks. Uh, the, con the consent part is really crucial for me. And when you think of Candy as someone who is consenting to all the things that are happening, which you can't the whole way through the whole, because like at one point she's knocked unconscious, right? Like there's, there's different parts. The part that drives me the most insane, given my Mormon upbringing, is the cult leader who is like, in order to achieve these higher like levels of learning, you have to do these things. And there's a lot of stories like that in like religious organizations. And there's a there's some really uncomfortable vibes there for me because I see people who have survived those types of sexual assaults. And I don't want to make it all serious. We could be we can be well, silly. Oh, yeah. I so, want to 
Well, I want to talk briefly. Um, Demanda, go ahead. And then I want to. I'm change. sorry. I just want to like kind of figure the thing, things that Justin and Alicia. Sorry, they're right behind me in our Brady Bunch thing. So they're right here. Um, <laughs> something that they said about those, uh, like the two guys in the bar. I feel like, like kind of what Alicia was. So Justin brought up that they're the only two guys who don't get candy. And Alicia brought up the fact that. like her kind of viewing is that it's the people like this is what's happening in their head i think that's why those two guys don't get candy because they're saying the inside thoughts out loud and because they're saying the inside thoughts out loud that's why it's not working for her like she like she doesn't she doesn't want you to be over it and i think that's another reason why she doesn't uh like aunt aunt livia is because aunt livia says the inside things out loud the whole tangent that she goes on with like the tv show she wants to produce Oh god. Wild. <laughs> so why why is Aunt Livia amazing? We all love her. So Sarah, do you want to take it, this one first? Uh, Sarah and then demand. Oh my god. Yeah, whenever <laughs> my favorite part of the entire book actually uh genuinely wonderful is whenever she calls up Candy and she's just like, "You bitch, you've been with my man." And just like yelling at her and like tearing her a new one and being like, "Where's your uncle?" And she's like, "Oh, you mean my uncle like I didn't sleep with him okay and like she clearly just did there was a whole to do about it but she's like okay like he's not here and she's just like they like scream at each other for a hot second candy hangs up on her and then Livia calls back and she's just like hello and Livia's just like so where do you think he is (laughs) and doesn't even acknowledge that there was just a screaming fight between the two and I was just like you're my favorite character. <laughs> All you had to do was this. It's like she is just the best because she, it's like she knows what the book is. Like she's the character who's just right. like, I've read this book. I know exactly <laughs> what's happening. And they just dropped her in there and she's like, oh, this is a filthy book. I'm going to say filthy shit then. And like, <laughs> that's basically Olivia's whole role is just to be the person who absolutely knows what's going on while Candy's like, what what it felt to me it felt to me like the writers were trying to make aunt live like here's what happens when you marry a beautiful girl and then she becomes this awful undesirable person later in her life but there's something about the way they portray her that makes her magic instead like she's sarcastic she's over it i love her for that reason she gives no fucks she gives no fucks the 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 kingsley couple that uh, at the restaurant are horrified to hear her describing this, you know, the, this this sitcom or whatever, and uh, not a sitcom, um, but uh, the the lady says this is so distasteful, and Livia says not as distasteful as your fat clip, like <laughs> right. So what so, you it, just it, said it, that to a person? At a Aunt Livia is what? is the Auntie Mame, the Karen Walker, yes. like 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 the the gay icon that like yes. we all wanted to have in like That's in this book. Like, she, again, my favorite line that she has, and not just because my name is Martini, but when she says, "We need to get you out of these out of these wet panties and into a dry martini," and it's like, <laughs> yes, but like she she's just like, doesn't everyone need a drink? Like the, she's several times like, doesn't everyone need a drink i know i need one what about all of you and it's like yeah bitch no we're reading this book we all need a drink like that's yeah. yes i think you should is. just take that and make that like your catchphrase Amanda. Yes. like you should really yes. end every show like well thanks ladies and gentlemen i gotta get out of these wet pants because baby it's like tailor made for you 
Yes. But that's the thing, right? Like Aunt Liv is the she's the fourth wall break. She's going, you're reading this smut and you're yeah, liking yeah. it, right? You're having a good time. Okay, just making sure. Just making her, sure. Her, 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 her like little cameo at the end with like the letter. And it, she's like, girl, I already know everybody's been in your twat. Like, good for you. <laughs> I have yeah. two two conversation points, uh, and then we'll do final thoughts. Number one. There's a movie version of this film. It was made in 1968. This is at the end of the 60s when there was a big revolution in Hollywood happening. Like Midnight Cowboy won Best Picture the next year. Uh, there's something awful because this is the era where white people were playing brown people in brown face or black face and using bad accents. This movie has an all-star cast. Candy in this film, I don't remember the name of the actress. I don't know that she ever did anything else. But she she talks like this. Oh, Daddy, it's me, Candy. Like, it's like this baby voice. It's very uncomfortable. She's fully nude at multiple points. This was like a mainstream film. I uh, My mom was in her 20s. I can only imagine. <laughs> anyway, the uh, they, they add a couple of characters. There's a really awful uh, army commander in a plane played by Walter Matthau, who's yeah. like, I'm the military sergeant, and you must have my baby. I need you. And then the Mexican gardener is played by Ringo Starr from the Beatles, painted brown and doing like, I'm Emmanuel, like, I am your gardener. It's really terrible. And after Candy sleeps with him, there's an entire scene added where he has like three Mexican sisters or aunts or cousins who like chase Candy down on motorcycles and try to do like voodoo spells on her. Yeah. Later in the film, and as far as I understand, uh, I saw an interview, Marlon Brando said this is the only film he ever regretted making. He's the cult. <laughs> he's in the back of a semi and he's an indie, like he's playing a man from India, painted brown. And he's doing this like very culty thing where he's just convincing her to fuck him over and over uh, it's it's a weird, weird film. Uh, Richard Burton plays Dr. Mephisto at the beginning of the film, and he stands in front of this like group of students, and all the girls want him. And every time he's on camera, the wind is like blowing his hairs. He's talking like this the entire time. And so I have this thing at my house where we do a bad movie once a month, and I make a themed cocktail, and my friends come over, and we did this for candy a few months ago. And I made this like pink starburst, like really sicky sweet cocktail. I warned everyone about the content. Every one of my friends, all of whom were gay, were visibly like shaken and so uncomfortable by this film. Like that was the only movie we've ever hated watching with you. Like she just gets raped over and over and over. It's very uncomfortable. I wouldn't recommend it unless you just want the experience, but it's not a great time. Uh, any thoughts on this description of the film, Candy, from 1960? It's not a great time. <laughs> yeah. Great I've time. seen that movie. Um, it is a bad movie. It's written by Buck Henry. So if anybody, if anybody is a big Buck Henry fan, um, it was written by him. You might have to rethink your status on Buck Henry after you watch this movie but yeah it is an uncomfortable movie and it is that's where they bring in the space alien thing where it's just like blue 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 she comes to earth and so so you mentioned hot. this before please explain to me like is it like in the movie that she is an alien yeah, she there's like she just appears out of like there's like oh the cosmos the cosmos everywhere. There's and like a four like, minute sequence at the front that's like lights in the desert. It's almost like you're on mushrooms watching the film. It never yeah. states that she's an alien, but there's this idea that she just appeared. 
It's 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 weird. I, I love that. I love that in the movie Candy has like a phalanx kind of <laughs> alien <laughs> moment. What? It just I, seems like this is a mo- This is a story that is meant to be a movie in your own mind and should never have been made into a real movie like ever and like when you did when you said Chad that you watched this movie with your friends all I could think of is like in college I went to this party like this house party and I was like kind of like obviously super fucked up and I like went into this room and I sat down and I realized that everyone was watching a porn together and in this one room and I was like (sighs) and like I just had to like leave but I couldn't I was just in shock and I just sat there for a little while and then I got up and I left and I imagined like that's what your friends felt like as we as we are talking here we're all smiling and laughing so as the movie started I was like turning to my friends and like haha do you guys see this This is crazy right and like 15 minutes in I look around and everyone's like ashen gray and I'm like oh fuck (laughs) it was it was a bad experience had a moment to like take that in and be like all right so I didn't watch the movie, but I found it was like a five minute super cut of clips kind of pitched as a trailer to give you an idea of some of the ridiculousness. And if anything, like it made me curious about the movie because it seems like it doubles down on the farce of it all. Like it, it just feels like the ridiculousness, the campiness, the the element of the novel where I never really felt like Candy was in danger because everything was so ridiculous, even though there were times like where she's actually getting sexually assaulted. I I just, it it has this air to it that feels so much lighter than it should Mm -hmm. because of the content. And honestly, the movie sells that so well in that clip. So I want to ask one more question. And Sarah, I'm going to have you take this one if you will. Uh, there, I've read a couple of interviews by the writers, and they just intended this as smut. They intended it as a smut book with ridiculous ideas that just kept getting more ridiculous. And then later, the writers were told that people were finding a lot of like, oh, there's satire. Oh, there's this comparison to the classic French novel Candide. Like, look at how brilliant this is. Look at how smart the writers were by putting this together. And the writers like went back and read it and they're like, oh, yeah, no, it is. It's a brilliant satire that's completely unintentional. Uh, Sarah, will you take a, talk, us, talk to us about this as satire, or if you'll give us a comparison to Candide. It's a really interesting thought pattern. Yeah, um, so Candide is about Candide, a character named Candide, who just kind of falls From like into, 1759. It's like the, an old book. Yeah, it falls into bad situation after bad situation. At the time, there was obviously like a really strong religious stranglehold across Europe, obviously, right? Like, I'm not going to say it's gone today. But, you know, at the time, famously, <laughs> like this was a big recurring problem. And uh, so optimism the world is exactly how it should be. So like, what's the point of wanting for more or asking for more in life? And then you have this writer who's thinking to himself, my life has been hell. Like I've gone through all of these horrible things. Optimistic thinking isn't really helping me. So it's almost like that era's commentary on like toxic wellness culture in a weird way, or like people who like really want you to do positive thinking all of the time. So, but the the format of the book is, in the beginning, Candide, he wants to marry this beautiful girl, but there's all of these obstacles in his path. And he goes through bad situation, bad situation, bad situation. That's out of his control. Like you can't control the world. That's basically like what he's saying. It doesn't matter who you pray to or how much, you know, the world is still the world. 
and by the end he gets his his wife like the girl that he of his dreams he gets her like he marries her and he doesn't love her anymore so that's like the last like boom yeah gut punch you got that candied like that's basically it and so if you compare the like the format i guess of candied to the format of candy it's weirdly similar because i didn't think about that until the other day whenever i heard a um one of the interviews where they were just like yeah everybody thinks that it's like a play on candied and we had no idea and it's like candy being a play on candied and you didn't even think of that because i didn't think about that whenever i was reading it though and I was just like, when you look back at it, you're like, oh, my God, this is candied <laughs> because she just falls into mishap after mishap and meets person after person. And in the end, it's almost like a flip because it seems like what she did want the whole time was her dad. Right. Like that's almost the point of the book in a weird way. So she kind of gets what she wants by the end. So it's like kind of a weird flip on like the candied story, I guess. Um, it's not what we wanted though. <laughs> so I get this, I get three okay. visions in my mind as I picture this coming out in the late fifties, there's the housewives reading this in their beds, like with no one looking and they're like, Oh my gosh, there's the straight men reading this because it's every straight man's fantasy, right? She's fucked by a doctor. She's fucked by an old man. She's fucked by someone who is considered disabled. She's fucked by a cult leader. She's like, it's like every situation over and over and over ending with the whole daddy fantasy at the I, end. As a straight man, Chad, I, I gotta stop you. Just, um, I don't know. I don't know about that, Reed. Um, Porn genres may disagree. The only thing missing is the lesbian fantasy. Uh, the third, the third one though, is the people reading this, like the intellectuals with like glasses, going, "Ooh, look at the satire here! Look at this incredible commentary on our modern society," which cracks me up. It's really fucking funny to me. Uh, as we're wrapping up our thoughts on the book before we transition to the character, how are we doing? How's everybody feeling about the experience of reading and discussing candy? I've already finished my second drink. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the thing is, you do bring up an interesting point that, like, I'm honestly surprised that there is not a, like, some butch lesbian who comes in and, like, does something to candy like like now that you now that you said that that's I'm like, too far <laughs> that's too much that's how i always feel whenever like people will be like gay people are unnatural or whatever and it's like i have heard some weird shit that you guys get up to that's kind of the candy story <laughs> i i do i do want to just bring up one fun gay thing that happens early on in the book so again spoiler alert but once uh, she goes to Mephisto's office and is invited for Sherry, um, when Mephisto starts groping her, they're interrupted by Holly, the the boy, the other boy from Mephisto's class or whatever, who Mephisto is clearly banging, and Candy catches them, and she's horrified, and she feels so guilty, and she blames herself. Oh, my selfishness. What have I driven that poor sweet man to do is just um, a so lot. But there is that them? big gay chunk. Are they just hitting each other with like paddles and whips? Mm. No, they were having sex. They were they're definitely having sex. We're, we're, I, I, again, I don't have my copy anymore because I, of course, <laughs> gifted it to a friend, like a true, like a true person, <laughs> like a true Whoa. patriot. 
You know, it is described as that. Like, they're chasing around. But, I mean, from, like, like, the, the, it, it happens pretty quickly. And they're definitely chasing naked. each other with stuff, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I know Roy Thomas often would draw upon literary references or real-life travel experiences as he created characters in the comics. I've interviewed him twice. I've heard this from him. I have not asked him about Candy particularly, although he does reference that he named her after Candy by Terry Southern. When I consider his motivation here, I'm kind of assuming he had the feeling of like he was getting away with something. Like Roy Thomas was pretty horny in the 60s. <laughs> there's, there's something about, about that. That uh, the, the magic of this character being named after this book, it has nothing to do with the character Candy Southern. But there's, there's something very odd. I'm very glad I read this book. It's a time capsule. Also, I'm horrified that I read this book and I will never fucking touch it again. I texted you guys all. I feel like we're all survivors of the same plane crash. Like we have an understanding of each other mm. that like no one else shares unless they've also shared this experience. I uh, feel better now having like talked about it with you guys. I mean, the 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 group chat was fun because it gave us like a place to just like scream like what? Good grief, it's um, daddy. Good grief. <laughs> but I I feel better about this uh having experienced it now, just kind of like processing it and and just okay. Let's and, I can close this up. And, <laughs> and listeners, as I selected this jury, I asked each of them for like a phone call and like a conversation. How do you feel about, let me tell you what this is about. And I'm thinking of this episode in September. Uh, <laughs> Justin, how are you doing? Final thoughts here? Yeah, it was an experience. I think Arturo, what you're saying about sharing it, you know, going through it to, to say, hey, we all thought this, <laughs> basically BJ Novak at the top with his professor, like, right? Like what? this shit is crazy, right? Right. We read this. This was homework. I, I I don't know what I can do with this book. We have a little free library where like you leave books in. No. People take it. This can't go in there. No. I don't know if I want this on my shelf. I don't want people to be like, oh, what's this I'll about? Keep it. <laughs> you know, it's just uh I'm I'm glad to have experienced it. I think that it is an interesting statement on literature at that point in time and especially the popularity of banned books and the way mm -hmm. it went through it even just the the way that it was written the fact that these two guys were writing chapters basically trying to top each other that's why it feels like it's topping itself as it goes through is because they're like oh yeah you think that's ridiculous well then this other time i just i think it's it's such a unique exercise in novel yeah agreed uh, Sarah, any final thoughts? <laughs> well, just the pang of jealousy I felt whenever you said, I'm never touching this book again because I <laughs> cannot say the same. Apparently, <laughs> I might read it again and again. Who knows? I also have feel like it, it was like one time I watched like NCIS for work and then Paramount Plus was like, you love NCIS. And I was like, no. No, so I'm afraid that the library is going to do that to me with candy and start recommending me candy style books. But I was, to your point, banned books. It is a, an important thing, right? Because this was banned everywhere, from what I can tell. A bunch of people hated it. There was like all a big to do, one might say. I am going to make a note that 30 years before, whenever the book Whale of Loneliness, Well of Loneliness, I always say whale. Whale, <laughs> whale of, loneliness. of Loneliness. The Well of Loneliness was put on trial for obscenity for the lines and that night they were not divided talking about two women who just stayed the night with each other which first of all in 1928 was probably extremely hot 
But in 1958, only 30 years later, and then, of course, Well of Loneliness was on trial concurrently with James Joyce's Ulysses, which ends with an entire chapter based on a woman masturbating to, like, thinking about her boyfriend, which is beautiful. It's fucking art. But I will say that Well of Loneliness <laughs> saying they that night they were not divided was enough for it to be banned. It was, like, eventually, like, the obscenity was lifted from that book but it was still just like considered like why would you ever sell that book like it's a you know it's a dirty book essentially so whenever a lot of the books that were banned of this time like a tropic of cancer and like that kind of stuff or like ulysses like all of that kind of feeds into this era where people started to find it again in the late 60s or in the late 50s and early 60s. So I just want to say that there is a big, huge role that this book does play, strangely, in obscenity trials, but also that those always affect marginalized communities a lot more than they affect like Terry Southern or whoever. So mm -hmm. it's cool. Like, it's really an interesting, important book. But I also just think that there's a lot more to it, I guess. And that, like, the obscenity and the censorship part of it is something that would have to be its own podcast, right? But I just wanted to get that in at the end because I do think that that's all important history. One of the really yeah. fun parts of these trials for me has been, like, framing characters and where they fit, where their origin came from, where the idea of them came from. And Candy, as a result of this, seems to match, like, every other character for me. When you look at, like, the 1940s when, like, Miss America or Wonder Woman were created and what they represented as the powerful woman, but a lot of their stories were about being dominated at the same time, how, how female supervillains were portrayed. It's a commentary in a lot of ways, as we get into Candy Southern, on the changing role of women as perceived by male creators, because it hasn't been uh, until modern times that we see female creators. Uh, I mean, go see my interview with Linda Fight for some really interesting thoughts on this. But, uh, but the origin of this as her name is really fascinating to me from a literary analysis perspective. Uh, Alicia, go ahead. Oh, I just was thinking like, in in relation to the idea of it being a banned book and you know the idea of why like these thoughts and these things are on the page and like you know like similar to what I was saying before like people are having those thoughts but if we say those thoughts out loud then it's no longer like acceptable and we can't bring attention to it and I think it's just mm -hmm. it's a really powerful book in that like you're seeing how how Candy can like take ownership of her sexuality in a way, but without actually doing it. And like where that, that line for like a woman stands, you know, like hopefully by now, if you wanted to see the Barbie movie you did, and I'm not ruining anything for you, but like America Farrah has this like really beautiful speech in that movie where she's talking about the idea that like, you have to be keeping yourself pretty and thin, but don't dress too scantily. Cause you're a, you'll be a whore that way. And like, you know, work out to look good, but don't work out too much because then you look masculine. And like this book is such a commentary on this idea of like, you need to be sexualized. Like you need to let us sexualize you, but you can't sexualize yourself. And like that is, that's the root of like what I think made this book so powerful to me was like, I maybe Candy wasn't actually like owning her sexuality in that way. But like reading it, I was like, yeah, girl, get it. Like, you should have that kind of power over those guys. Like, get it. And I think that that's, like, what's cool is, like, people were ashamed to have other people read this because it meant that, you know, 
you had to have those, you, you were having those thoughts. And if you were turned on by this book, like why? And like, should you be ashamed of that? Or like, I don't know, I just think it's cool. And I honestly feel really great that after I read this book, I was like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk about this. And then being here with all of you, like, I feel so safe. And like, I know that like your listeners are also a safe space, like for me to just say like, yeah, there I enjoyed this book in a way I didn't expect to enjoy it. And that's okay. And I feel like that's why it was banned because people thought that wasn't okay. You know? Here's what I wish the origin story of this book was. And this is where we'll conclude here. I wish a woman had written it using a male pseudonym and it was intentional and then it'd be like fuck yeah but the fact that this happened accidentally because a couple straight guys were horny it's really yeah. hilarious to me so, so uh, just what, like a final thought so yeah please and the talk of a banned book so as someone who's not quite the center but like near the center of controversy of like banned books and reading to children um mm-hmm. like it's interesting when a book is banned finding out like, why is this book banned? Because also, as soon as you hear about a banned book, what are people going to do? They're going to look up this book, find out what it's about, and then read it. Um, So it just kind of like made it then a more like, I guess, underground success, which is why then it then was eventually re-released and re-released and re-released. And so it is interesting that it's like, people saw it for the first time and were like, oh no, this is too much. We can't have this. And like made it banned. And then people were like, okay, but why are we banning this? Like now, now I want to know what this is. Like, like, uh, what, like what, what actually is this book about? It's got almost like a Handmaid's Tale energy about it. When you look at it in that light, except Handmaid's Tale was done intentionally. Right. right. <laughs> so right. It's really interesting. Uh, Sarah, go ahead. Uh, Candide was also banned, but it was banned for calling out themes, like uh, calling out like violence against women and uh like religious stranglehold over politics and things like that so it's like a lot of times if a book is getting banned it might have more to say than candy does i'm not trying to like give candy too much credit you know because it is very uncomfortable but it's also one of those things where it's like yeah this is banned is it's something where there's so many books of that time that you could have chosen to ban like there's you know, famously like lesbian pulp novels, like there's all of these books that are just as sexual as this book. And it is interesting that this was one that they chose, I guess, to be like, no, not candy. And it's, I just think it's interesting, but also that books that are banned often are the books that are pushing the culture forward. Obviously a lot of the books, there's enough book bans at this point that uh, we can't catch up you know, like there's a lot of books that are just getting buried by those bands. But I adore each of you. I have the smartest, coolest friends. Thank you, you guys, for all coming on. This has been really interesting. In our latter half, we're going to talk about Candy Southern. And if you are not familiar with this character, she is magic. There is something about her that is really special. Be prepared to be hooked on her. I'd love to ask the question briefly to those that haven't already addressed this. Were you familiar with this character beforehand? And or what was it like to research this character? We each took a section of her history. She has 50 or so appearances across the years. And we're each going to do a brief presentation on her. But what was it like for you to delve into this character? particularly for those of you that might have been less familiar with her beforehand. And for those of you that haven't heard the Candy Southern, Connor and Sarah diatribe on Cerebra, please go listen. It's it's magical. I'm like, I've never heard of this character. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> um, so, so I, I again, as, as someone who has read UncannyXmen.net forwards and backwards at least six times, like I knew who Candy Southern was. Um, uh, and I had, I had listened, or I, and by listen, I'd seen like, 
the TikToks and like um, videos that get released from from uh, the Cerebro podcast. And so like I, I was like, oh, that's fun that they're talking about Candy Southern. This is this is great. I enjoy this. Um, and then when Connor asked me last year to um, be his booth babe at a FlameCon, I was like, okay, well, who were the two characters that I need to be to sit next to Connor? One was Zaladane, of course. And then the other, I was like, oh, no, Candy Southern's having a moment. And then I listened to the full episode on Candy Southern. And I was like, no, no, that's the one. This is what we're doing. Um, and and again, like, it, it was it was very... So, like, at that point, obviously, like, listening to that episode, I was like, okay, I have, like, a whole... Now I have, like, a more better understanding of who this character was. Because I had known her from, like, again, like, the the phalanx uh, kind, of, kind of things. And, like, I knew that she was, like girlfriend from the 60s and kind of like always around remember her x x factor um appearances um it was the that episode the cerebro episode that like really got me i was like oh shit she was totally like in the defenders for like all of those years and like a driving force behind (laughs) the defenders for so long and so it was just it was really cool to be like oh yeah she was fucking awesome yeah uh, I would love to hear from uh, Alicia and Justin about your thoughts on Candy, or what was it like for you to be introduced to this character? So I was introduced to Candy because of you, Chad. Like, Grandma and Lane was my, all the reading, like, of of the early issues and things, like, for trials or other episodes that we've been on. That was how I was like, okay, this is who Candy is. And, I mean, I I really, the section that I read about her is like the end of her era. And um, I have a lot of thoughts on it, which I will get into. But I think that what's really cool about her is that she seems like a very important character um, for the other characters and their like acknowledgement of her and her existence and her relationship with them. So it's cool for me to kind of get to look at a character who I thought like, you know, was just sort of like a fun, flirty person who was about and like into the 05 guys and like hanging around and then to realize that like she sticks around and she plays such a major role in so many things was really cool to like see her develop. Uh, Justin? I really only knew her from the couple of appearances that I had read. Honestly, most of the most of the issues that I had for her continuity, I had already read before, but to read them in context of her fuller story and that she is so much more of a character than the couple of snippets that I had previously experienced was really exciting to find that she's more than Warren's girlfriend and she's a badass in her own right. And she, like the the stories that she gets to actually be a character and, and even even in the ones that I knew where she's giving sass or she just has so much confidence or she is not put off in such a way that, you know, like she's just, she has strength in mm-hmm. herself. And I think it's really cool. Uh, Arturo. Um, for me, Candy was, I, you know, I, I experienced her during the the failings, like, like Amanda said, and I'll be perfectly honest. I thought she was cool, but in my eyes, she was essentially, you could have swapped her with like Opal Tanaka, right? It was just like a cool human girlfriend of the original five. And before you knew it, she was, you know, she was off by the failings, et cetera. So my exposure to her was really limited. I'm definitely part of 
that fandom or whatever, uh, the the ex Twitter people that were turned on to Candy Southern by, I'll just say it by yeah by uh, Cerebrocast. You know, just we all got candy pilled uh, slowly but surely, and yeah, and I'm wearing the shirt right now of her failings era, beautiful art by Valentine Smith, and yeah, I just I just think she's, she's such a cool character. So I think a lot of people have heard of Candy because of Cerebro, but have never read much of her appearances. But from interviewing a lot of people on my show and covering a lot of Candy's background issue by issue, you have two types of Candy Southern fans. You either have the people who have never heard of her or the people who fucking love her. And there's kind of no in between. Now, as a reader, I have a very nostalgic place for all of the 60s supporting characters. I love Liz Allen. I love Pepper Potts. I love Jane Foster. Like these characters that have grown over the years and you get to see see them change and adapt. And Candy Southern and Vera Cantor are right at the top of that list for me. So we're going to take Candy's history in a couple of different sections. Uh, we've each taken just a short snippet of her appearances, and we're going to talk about what happens to her and what we love about her across the way. Uh, up first is going to be Demanda Martini, covering Candy's first appearances in X-Men 31, 32, uh, Kazar 2 and 3, and Marvel Tales number 30, all of which are issues I have reviewed on my show. So please feel free to go back and listen. Uh, let me turn it over to Demanda. So, uh, Candy is introduced as a childhood friend of Warren Worthington. And um, we get a flashback of them like being like childhood friends. Um, so she's obviously also super wealthy, socialite, um, yada, yada, yada. But they run into each other at a nightclub um, and they start flirting. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I went off to school. And she's like, oh, yeah, maybe I should transfer. And he immediately is like, oh, maybe we should go dance because we don't want to talk about my school. Um, and uh, then uh, he brings her to Coffee A Go Go and meets like the you know the rest of the gang and they're hanging out. Um, and when so they're like they're like kind of flirting and like uh, this <laughs> Satan cult uh, biker gang like <laughs> attacks and shenanigans ensue. But at the end, Warren's like, "Oh hey, Candy, maybe we should hang out." And she gives iconically. Oh, I'm busy that night. Okay, bye. And like leaves. And it's like, what a fucking power move for her to like tell Warren Worthington, who we all know is like, he's the hot one, right? Like he's definitely like the prettiest of pretty boys who also has a bajillion million dollars. And she's like, mm, I have to wash my hair. Like how fucking iconic. So the next time we see her is in uh, Kazar. Uh, so this is the whole like uh, evil dazzler Warren's uncle nonsense and uh she so she goes with warren to a nightclub again uh they hear that angel's father has been murdered by the dazzler and uh warren then uh leaves as um you know as angel the dazzler then kidnaps candy um to try to use her as leverage against warren um who he doesn't know is the angel um and then Da the you know fight ensues. Uh, the base goes to explode, and Warren grabs his uncle and Candy to leave. Uh, but because his uncle is struggling, he ends up dropping both of them, but only saves Candy. Um, and this is also the first time that Candy realizes that Warren is Angel. Um, so then in the Marvel Tales, um, we oh no, and no that that that's the end of that. He can't save Dazzler, the end. Uh, but again, I, 
her introduction of being like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Again, I think that like perfectly just sums up who Candy is. She also has like a very Mary Jane Watson energy back at the beginning. She's like, let's dance, cool cat. You know, like there's something really fun about her. Right. Well, and so I'm going to say this and then I'm going to let you guys uh, talk more about her. But I also love the fact that her look over the years also changes and it like updates with the times that she's in. Whereas a lot of characters just kind of have like that iconic look that they just stay in. And like that to me says that she is a woman of the world and she is a woman mm-hmm. who's like, who like understands what's going on. And again, so like she talks in like the Hepcat kind of thing in the, her first appearances, but then as she grows up and becomes like the sophisticated woman, like with the times she changes, which I love about her. Uh, now, she next appears in other titles, but her most recent appearances retroactively slide after the 60s before her next appearances, which has just covered been been covered comprehensively on my show over the last few months uh, in X-Men The Hidden Years. Uh, let me turn it over to Arturo for that section. X-Men Hidden Years is a lot of fun. Um, it gives a lot of color to, to who Candy is as a character. Um, so the issues I'm assigned, I'll, I'll kind of give some context of what's going on. Uh, the X-Men are a bit scattered. Uh, Cyclops, <laughs> Beast, and Angel are in the Savage Land. They think Jean may have died, but there's hope that she may not have. Um, Bobby is in his flop era baby. We see, we come on Bobby and he is on a couch. He's crashed out on his ex-girlfriend's couch. Uh, and I guess her roommate is Vera, who was Hank's ex. Is that mm-hmm. accurate? Mm-hmm. Vera, long, long time friend of the pod. Um, the uh, see Sarah Center and, and I's two and a half hour episode on Vera Cantor. <laughs> so he wakes up on on her couch and he's just a mess. And uh, Zelda says, "Well, I know somebody who who can who can help." And she calls the ever capable Candy Southern. Uh, Candy, with all her pluck and gumption, makes her way to the mansion to see what's up. Uh, she's stopped by some robotic guards that apparently Xavier has on the budget at this point. And she meets Professor X and she tells them that, uh, that they need to find out where Warren is. Um, Hilarity ensues. The X-Men get in some Fantastic Four drama. Um, kind of separate from this, Candy ends up going with uh, Cyclops and Jean trying to find uh, trying to find Warren. And this is excellent because at this point, Jean Grey, again, I, don't worry about it, but Jean Grey's in the mix now. Um, Candy is where, no, Jean, I'm sorry, Jean Grey is not there. Candy is given Jean Grey's uniform so candy with no superpowers with no weapons it's not like they gave her you know a laser blaster or a force field generator or anything no she's literally just got the green skirt dress and the yellow you know mask and she looks fabulous i'll just say it she's just you know it's just her and her flawless skin against the world like that's all she's got baby and that's all she needs and um they basically uh grapple with a bunk version of the brotherhood of evil mutants at this point it's uh Eunice the untouchable with blob and mastermind and they have the x-men illusions into thinking they're in this big top and it turns out the circus performers from an actual circus were under mastermind's control too and you know he's just puppeteering this whole thing um and candy's there and 
taking care of business. You know, she she helps the X-Men uh, defeat these guys. And um, Stefan Kruger shows up and she kicks him in the fucking face. And then Avia hugs Warren and she's like, do I need to be jealous, Warren? And it's it's great. The whole thing is great. Candy in the Hidden Years is my favorite part of the Hidden Years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I love it. it one can't, Warren's like super uncomfortable. It's kind of that like, oh, my ex-girlfriend and my new girlfriend are in the same room at the same time. And Candy's like, don't worry about it. We'll talk later. Like, there'll be time for that. You know, she's just so cool. Um, and then what happens after that? Chad? Well, then she finally, she finally gets to tell Warren why she went after him in the first place. Because uh, his mom is marrying his evil uncle. Yes, yes, yes. That, that, exactly, exactly. Um, and do we make it to their wedding? Yeah, yeah, they show up and uh, the evil Dazzler is trying to control everything. They defeat him. Warren's mom dies and then Candy just kind of fades away for a while. That's that's basically the story. But uh, Candy is also the true, like, we're on and off and I will let you know when we're on and when we're <laughs> off. Yes. I love, there's one scene when, uh, when Candy does get that phone call and she, like, looks at a, at a photo of Warren and she turns it around and there's, like, a Polaroid of her with Warren, his wings, he's carrying her. They're both in bathing suits, looking gorgeous. Um, you know, Candy Southern, mutant ally from day one. They have this habit of, like, sending photos of themselves to each other across all of their appearances, which is a wonderful. Uh, we next see Candy again. We're going back into the 70s at this point. But Incredible Hulk Annual 7, Marvel 2 and 168, Uncanny X-Men 132, Dazzler number 1, and then Uncanny X-Men 143. Like I said, she just pops up all over the fucking place. Uh, Justin, will you take this section? Absolutely. So in this section, it feels as though Candy is kind of not phased by anything. She's not phased by the super heroic. She's not phased by whatever Warren's doing. She's there in kind of like a an assist way to him at the various times that she's in the book. The first one, Incredible Hulk Annual Number Seven. She's only in so much of it, so I I tried to like really take a close read, and I can't lie, I was informed by the book, but I'm just I'm trying to get over the fact that wow, Warren really needs her. Wow, she's doing all this for Warren. That this. I, I particularly love the line from Warren to Bobby on the phone. Yeah, Candy Southern, we ran into each other in Socorro, dot, 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 and decided to dot, 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 ah, renew our friendship, which is the closest a 1970s comic can say, hey, we fucking now. <laughs> Come on, And they Warren, clearly are. Like, they clearly are in every yeah. panel of that book. Like, every time you see them together on a, you're just like, duly noted okay agreed and it's so their their relationship is so casually aware so Iceman comes with a, a friend or beard of terry right who is smitten who, who wants to bang warren which why wouldn't she because like his main superpower is himbokinesis everyone wants to bang warren right he just brings that out of you that's the attitude that gets added to Candy's characterization and it carries through into the next issue of Uncanny X-Men 132, my first experience, Alicia Lawson. You can't take himbo kinesis, I'm so sorry. The, the ability to manipulate himbo powers. Himbo kinesis, I'm screaming over here. I'm, screaming. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad I'm on mute because I had a whole moment over here. Well, so the, uh, in Uncanny X-Men 132, the, the team comes to Warren's house and base, and 
Candy's just there to watch and smile through Warren kissing Gene on the lips as he's really only concerned about Scott. Like, is this how super people greet each other? Hickman read this and said, yeah, why not? Everyone on the same island and everybody's making out. Uh, Candy just playfully threatening everyone. And I, I just love the confidence that she has in it. It's so like, I got this. I got me. The next time they show up, they arrive at a, a nightclub, a dance club, where the Thing and the Human Torch are already hanging out, already dancing, and Warren walks up to the two of them, and Candy wants to go to the dance floor, and Warren's like, no, why don't you go dance with Johnny freaking Storm, who vaguely looks different from me and will totally bang you if you show any interest. Like, you know, you know, like, and then, and then Warren and Ben go off and have an adventure and no one knows what happens with Johnny and Candy. We all know what happened with Johnny and Candy. <laughs> In Bocanesis. In Bocanesis. He has it too. <laughs> At least she gets to go to the amusement park later. Uh, I think so, uh, <laughs> my last two comics she's not actually physically in the comics she's just kind of like behind the scenes off and hanging out with warren and doing things off panel and uh you know just just being a uh uh in charge and dutiful girlfriend to her in checked himbo boyfriend uh then she's in uncanny x-men 145 and 6 avengers 214 marvel fanfare 1 and then again uncanny x-men 169 uh sarah would you cover this section for us Yes, of course. I want to say, Justin, you're, you're part of this. I love every single one of the issues on your list. I think that they're all really good. And yeah. now that we're in Sarah's zone, it's uh, basically the arcade murder world. There's like the whole murder world situation. She gets kidnapped and thrown into like a, I mean, you know, throw a dart at the board. It's like a, it could have been a roller coaster to death or it could have been like I'm in a pinball machine and the pinballs are like coming at my face or I love arcade. It could be, um, <laughs> you know, like any number of arcade type things. I don't believe that she has a ton to do here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but basically she's just like one of the human allies of the mutants that just like arcades like oh nobody's messing with them i guess i'll mess with them and you know that's that's an arcade story more than i think in anybody else story because every time arcade pops up it's an arcade story so <clears throat> it's in avengers number 214 they're cruising like her and warren are very happy with each other and cruising through i believe the desert Ghost Rider has a problem with them for some reason this is all tied to ghost rider stuff and he is just like messing with Warren because he wants to fight with Warren. And it's like whenever he starts to threaten Candy, he's like, oh, I guess I'll just give her a kiss. Warren's just like, nope. And like jumps out of the car and goes after um, Ghost Rider, even though Candy's like, I could take care of myself. Don't worry about it. He still goes after it good for you, Warren. That's what you should have done. But there's like a whole, you know, whatever. That's once again, it's more of a ghostwriter story. It's more of like a Warren Worthington story. Marvel fanfare. Oh yeah. In Marvel fanfare one, uh, basically she's just there because Car uh, what's her name? The Lycos. What's her first Anya name? Anderson. 
Oh, is it Anderson? Okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so she shows up and she's just like, my Sauron boyfriend is like doing Sauron stuff again. And Warren's like, no, because him and Candy are like hanging out in a way that makes you be like, they want to keep hanging out, obviously. And Warren's like, no, <laughs> not Savage Land drama. No, but he gets dragged into it. And basically Candy is just like, you got to help her have a good time and <laughs> just like get out. I have things to do, which again, this is what we love candy for. And then in Uncanny X-Men 169, um, beautiful Paul Smith art. And uh, she gets thrown out a window by Sunder, right? Of the Morlocks. And again, that's somebody else's drama that has nothing to do with, with candy, but she gets thrown out a window and then is just like, I wish I had, it was so dark and I like couldn't tell what was going on. So she kind of has like a, she's more like self-chastising than anything, but. She gets saved in, by naked Nightcrawler and dropped in a bathtub with naked oh, Amanda Sefton, which is amazing. I mean, that's like <laughs> the way that Candy Southern likes to be saved, I think. But yeah, she's basically just like, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Professor X is just like, no, you have to help. Candy Southern and Nightcrawler's in a hot tub. It's like the X-Men, all of the X-Men just keep getting called into stuff whenever they're having sexy times. One, because a lot of it's written by Chris Claremont and that's just what's happening. But also because if that's what happens to you if you're an X-Men. Like Professor X pops up in your brain whenever you're like about to make out with somebody or you're hanging out in a hot tub or you're hanging out. You know, it's just like any number of ways that you're hanging out. Professor X is just like, absolutely the fuck not. And like tells you that you have to go do something <laughs> very serious. And, uh, but you also know. know that she got in that hot tub and she was like, Oh, is there a cocktail shaker around? Like, I got a minute. Was, was Shinobi know. Shaw in that hot tub? Cause <laughs> there's always a pretty decent chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go reference uh, my episode on Sienna Blaze with Arturo Rojas for more on Shinobi Shah. Uh, I'll take the next section. It's 1987. J.M. DeMatteis is wrapping up his run on New Defenders. Peter Gillis then takes over. This is one of my favorite comic book runs of all time. I really genuinely love it. Uh, Hellcat and the Son of Satan just got married. Gargoyles on the team. Valkyrie is a goddamn queer icon. Uh, he's brought Angel, Iceman, and Beast onto the team. There's a lot of fights with Professor Power. Again, go see my episode on Professor Power with J.M. DeMatteis. Uh, and there's operatives of the Secret Empire, and the whole thing is just a super fun time. Uh, Connor and Sarah also got to introduce J.M., or interview J.M. with me about this new Defenders, which we have a whole episode about. Uh, the supporting cast rounds out with Candy, with an old woman named Dolly Donahue, and my favorite pet in comics, Sassafras the dog. Uh, in 127, she's hanging out at the Drake's house. The team goes off to fight the Mandroids. Candy's with the dog, and she's like, oh my god, Warren needs to grow up. In 120, Nine, Candy and Dolly are eating donuts and coffee, and she confesses that she hates sharing Warren with the Defenders. Uh, in 130, Professor Power attacks the house and like slaps Candy with his armored glove and then holds her hostage until the Defenders beat him up. Candy's then like drawing up blueprints for like their base in a bikini, and Angel kisses her and says, quote, I think you are the most intelligent, beautiful, talented, and brave woman I have ever known. And I love their relationship. Not only are they fucking, but they're open and they're hot, and it's really great. In 131, Candy lets Moondragon know that Warren is hers, and there's a lot of Moondragon shit happening here. Moondragon's like making all the guys want her, but also she's a lesbian and just really fighting it, fighting it at this point. But also the dragon 
dragon of the moon is taking over. In 133, Candy and Warren take the team shopping in San Francisco. In 135, she tends to Warren because he's been injured by manslaughter. She's managing Worthington Industries, but also jokes that her company, Southern International, might just buy him out. Uh, in 138, Candy opens an infirmary and launches a new security system with all these holograms at the headquarters. She's really like just taking charge. And in the same issue, the team elects her as the team leader and the chief executive officer of all like non-action parts of the team. And she's surprised and they give her a t-shirt that says the brains behind the defenders, which is so great. Uh, she's got a lot of room to shine here. In 139, Candy hears that Warren had a conversation with an eagle and she's like, you should probably figure that out. In 140, uh, she chides Warren for flirting with Moondragon. In 142, she talks to Warren about being more responsible. In 143 to 145, Candy goes on the run with Sassafras and Dolly because the dragon of the moon is really fucking scary and Valkyrie's like, get the fuck out of here. And they go to a military base so they can hide with an old family friend who has the worst name in comics. His name is General Argyle Fist. Worst name ever. <laughs> but apparently she's known him since she was a kid. Warren ends up going blind as a result of this fight very briefly. It gets really weird at the end. She gets poisoned by a lady named Seraph. Uh, she wants to expand the roster and brings in Atuma's daughter Andromeda there. She meets Ghost Rider again. She gets attacked by a manslaughter. He dresses her up in this like little slutty costume and calls her the Southern Belle. Then the Dragon of the Moon attacks again and Candy is held hostage with a blade against her throat. And everyone dies at the end of this except for the three original X-Men and Candy because the series has to be canceled because X-Factor is getting ready to start, which is where we see her next. Uh, let me turn it over to uh, Alicia for the final section of Candy's history, which covers... X-Factor 1, 4, 10, 34, and 36, and then Uncanny X-Men 306. So, we're getting to a place where, like, the X-Men are, like, breaking up, essentially, or or leading new regular people lives. Scott is off with Maddie, and I just want to say, like, when I was reading these issues, I was like, oh, yeah, this is why I hate Scott, because he's the worst. Um, but anyway... That's not what this is about here today. Just got to slip that in. Uh, just got to slip that in there. So, like, uh, people are saying goodbye, saying their goodbyes, getting ready to go live their lives. Candy's just trying to mind her own business, hanging out in the pool in her bathing suit, living her best life. And she happens to distract some construction workers who then start to have an accident. They're all falling from the scaffolding. So Iceman and Beast and Angel save them. And then, but they don't do a good job. They're like kind of a hot mess when they do it. So then they're like, all right, we're making the right choice to go live our own lives. And Candy has this moment where, again, not trying, like, I know that her name was inspired by the book Candy and not necessarily <laughs> her character. However, in this moment, they all leave and she's like, oh, you're leaving me alone with a bunch of construction workers. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Or do I? You know, it's a bit, it's it's like okay, Candy, get it, girl. <laughs> um, then we've got you know a couple issues later in issue four, Jean's back in the picture, and like Warren is sitting telling Jean, you know, about to bear his soul to her, and meanwhile, Candy is running Warren's company. So she calls to say to him, like, hey, dude, like, there's a bunch of stuff going on right now. And you need to deal with this, that and the other thing. And he's just like, that's what I hired you for and like hangs up on her. 
So cool. Thanks a lot, Warren. Um, skip to issue 10. And Candy's still leading the business. And uh, it kind of comes out that Warren is the angel and that he's involved in X Factor. And, you know, people are freaking out in the business and the company. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it. And she just sort of like ends this meeting and she's like, I'll see you on Monday. Like, I have to go deal with this. And she goes to New York to see him kind of make a plan talk about whatever's going on and she finds him and Jean in an embrace and she's pissed and she tells him he can take his business and shove it and uh he she storms out and then Warren says you know what Jean helping you find Scott is more important than fixing my relationship with Candy so I'm gonna let Candy go and he does that then we go a whole 24 issues after that we're at issue 34 and we kind of find this out like not right away, like as the pieces are building. But what seems to have happened is that Candy has discovered Cameron Hodge's plan to do something evil. TBD, we don't know what it is, but he has an evil plan and she's going to alert the press. And he's like, no, that's not going to happen. So I'm going to take you. I'm going to kidnap you. I'm going to basically kill you. You're going to be hanging on by thread. and I'm going to start doing experiments on you. So that has happened previous to this issue and she's just sort of laying on a table and she's plugged into all these machines and Warren has found out about this and now he's like he is deaf he has been around hanging out with Apocalypse for a little bit so <laughs> he comes in and he's like no I'm not having this he's so mad he's like fighting for her and like we're finding out in later issues that she was sort of conscious for this she knows like he was there he was fighting for her um, Cameron Hodges sort of like rips the, essentially cuts her lifeline and just like laughs as Warren has to watch her die. And then for the rest of that issue and the next issue of not the next issue, but two issues later, um, in 36, he just kind of carries her dead body around as he avenges her death. So he just takes her to all the fights and kind of like puts her down, does fight says look what you did and then metal flip carries on um so she's she's dead or so we think um until we get to uncanny x-men 306 where she again walks in on him and gene but this time he's saying to gene how it's like one year since candy passed and he he can't believe he let her he didn't let her know how much she meant to him through the years and how important she was and how he acknowledges that she's the only one who like ever really stuck with him and loved him no matter what and supported him. And he has a lot of regret about that. And then Candy sort of like appears and he is really upset. He's like, this can't be real. You can't possibly be the Candy that I know and love because you're supposed to be dead. And come to find out that Hodge has somehow implanted himself inside of her in like a technology and is trying to like steal pieces of her to rebuild himself and instead of letting him do that so like gene goes in candy's mind she sees that this is what's happening and candy's like i can't do this and so she starts like physically ripping like pieces of her body off to to not let hodge have them essentially and he's like what are you doing like if you die if i die you die and she basically just sacrifices herself she's like i can't let this man exist and i can't let this happen i can't let him use me as a vessel so she just like rips herself apart and explodes and dies and i don't 
I just really feel like this is probably one of my, I think like the most important section for Candy because she's like, she's the hero of this story. And it's really a like, in my opinion, a way for Warren as a character to look back and reflect on like how many things she has done and the regret he has for taking advantage of her. And I think that when you look at all these issues together, it makes a really beautiful story of like, she put herself out there and like put herself in, she is a hero. Like she destroyed herself to save everyone else. And I think that that's super fucking cool. So this is the moral of the story is that X Factor really not only destroyed Cyclops' character, but also Warren. Because like Warren was like this cool guy who's like, yeah, I've got this really awesome woman who's like been supportive of me and all this stuff. And then he was like, nah, she's fine running this company. I'm going to go do this other stuff. And it it is a little incongruous, but but it's just like, no, dude, this this woman like literally decided that she was going to put you first. It's very like Kim Cattrall, where she's like, I've been putting this uh, in Sex and the City. She's like, I've been putting this man before me for so long. Fuck that. I, I'm going to go do my own thing. But then in the end, she still ends up putting him first because she's like, Cameron Hodge is doing this evil stuff and I, yeah. like, he's going to hurt like my friends and these people. And it's it just really fucking sucks. But Candy is awesome. Yeah. I just interviewed Mike Carlin about this era and he was talking about how they really wanted to launch an X-Men book that was not in Chris Claremont's control and it just fucked a whole bunch of shit up and Claremont had to adapt but it messed up our characters for decades. We're still recovering in a lot of ways. This is not your typical trial. This was a really intense review of a smut book (laughs) followed by kind of a quick review of a really special character in the X-Men franchise that we don't often think about. I'm so honored to have spent this time with you guys today. I would love to hear some of your final thoughts if you have anything you'd like to share. But uh, this was a this was a really wonderful experience. I feel very centered. Uh, I can leave the trauma of Candy by Terry Southern aside and celebrate Candy Southern as we uh, hope for her return <laughs> at all periods. Um, any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up? I Andy would say that this spot. was a trial and we were the ones that experienced the trial, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't. <laughs> we were on trial for having read this We book. were on trial. This, this has been a trial, but uh, I wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, Justin? Candy now holds the top spot as the most ridiculous book I've ever read. And we'll see. Uh, hopefully it does not get topped, you know, but who knows? Who knows what else is out there? Uh, this was lovely. Falling Buddha statues. <laughs> Good grief, it's daddy. It's the, it's the one line that will live on Good in me for me. Grief. Yeah, I was upset at that line. But Demanda Martini got a new catch line, so everything is I all mean, right. it's, uh, Listen, it's I'm about to go get out of these panties and slip into a dry <laughs> martini, so. <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you particularly to these wonderful guests. Uh, these episodes always take a lot of prep and a lot of time, so I really genuinely appreciate your time and talents. You're so fucking smart, all of you. I just, this was wonderful. Thank you. Uh, we're going to put this episode out in the place of the trial on the fourth Thursday in September, so September September 28th. As we are wrapping up, where can people find each of you online and anything you would like to plug? Uh, let's begin with Sarah Century. Ah, yes, me, Sarah Century. Uh, I am actually, you know what? I never talk about bitches on comics. We do a bitches of X like monthly special, me and Priya Saxena, where we currently we've been talking about the Phoenix Saga for like the last year because it's like a monthly special. So 
month after month, we're just like, guess what? We have more thoughts on Dave Cockrum's art. So all of those episodes are like two hours. That's on the Patreon. So if you ever want to check out much, much, honestly, if you want to check out much more opinions of X-Men, you could check out the rest of Gray Malkin Lane because I'm all, I'm all over this podcast. And then also, <laughs> you know, how many other times have people asked me on to be like, hey, Sarah, what are your X-Men opinions? In fact, Candy Southern, a character who should not have a five-hour podcast like dedicated to her, but should and does actually because we put in that work. But yeah, I talk about the X-Men a lot, actually. Um, I never like plug that part of my existence because I'm just like, here I am talking about the X-Men. I do like 12 other things. But yeah, we do a lot of bitches of X episodes we're gonna do a halloween episode this year so subscribe to our patreon and check that out or just listen to bitches on comics sarah you're so great it's so good to see you uh let's go to justin next hey yeah justin wilder i had a great time this was awesome i always love these trials i love diving deep into a character and just getting to know what makes them badass or terrible this was badass and not terrible like some of the other characters who are the worst <laughs> But, Justin enjoys diving deep into a character, much like the men in the book Candy enjoyed diving deep into Candy. You see, I was like holding hey, back on into the Candy's. Buttons. Wait, should we pull up? I know it's. A oh little my god, we never show. did the list. You didn't bring up the list. Oh man, all of you, we, it was literally we were like thirty seconds from the end, and now you know, and you gotta bring up the lamp pit. The golden V. The jelly box. Jelly, yeah. Wait, wait. Okay, okay. Justin, we're gonna pause you. Arturo assembled a list of all of the words or all the phrases used to describe Candy's vagina in this book. Can we please end with this, and then we'll go back? (laughs) I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm really bad about that. Um, Yeah, we we. I, I love that when I sent a picture of my list, Chad said he's making the same list because it comes a point. And again, I was doing this audio, so it was just like. Did I hear that right? I need to write some of this shit down because I can't go back and look at the page and say, oh, yeah, that fucking happened. So I was taking notes like what? What? All my notes end with question marks. Um, Candy's Candy is the name of the list. The Golden V, the Jelly Box, the Sweet Honey Pop, the Hot Puss, the Honey Pouch, the Tight Little Lamb Pit, the Sweet Little Pudding Pie. And the dripping fur pie. And this is not an exhaustive <laughs> list. I'm sure there's more. No, it was for me, it was the dripping fur pie as I <laughs> so I like got out of so like I was taking breaks by like getting in and out of my parents' pool. And I literally <laughs> sat down to read it again and I came to the dripping fur pie and I was like, and I'm gonna go throw up. <laughs> <laughs> In the weirdest and most awkward transition in my show's history, let me turn it back over to Justin Wilder. <laughs> Wow. You know, I'm so I'm really sorry. Glad that we, we took that pause. That was really great because those those were insane. Yes. Um, <laughs> Jeez, yeah. I'm going to cry. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so we do the XY podcast. Yeah. We talk about current comics in Krakoa and beyond because what is Krakoa now? Uh, at the end of September, we'll be gearing up for New York Comic Con, having just enjoyed the uncanny experience. And We'll probably be feeling the con crunch slash con fatigue in between those two points. Yeah. Yeah. 
I am so excited to meet you in a few weeks. We will have met before this is released, but I'm so excited to hang out with uh, both of you. Uh, let's go to Alicia next, if you'd like to add to that. Uh, and Justin, I'm so sorry for that weird interruption. No, it's great. <laughs> Not as sorry as I am. It had to happen. Don't apologize. <laughs> um, so yeah, as Justin said, we do the ex-wife podcast. So you can find us all over the internet at T-H-E-X-W-I-F-E, as in X-Men, not former wife, um, Instagram, X, which is Twitter, some garbage, and Facebook, but nothing else. Just stick to those. Um, and you can find me, if you want to follow my cosplay journey, at Wilder Moves um, on TikTok and Instagram. And if we're getting close to New York Comic Con, I will, I'm saying this in it's in the, the ether now, so I have to make it happen. I will be striving to finish my new Shadow Cat cosplay by the time New York Comic Con comes around. Shadow uh, Cat with a K on cat. Yes. Yeah, Shadow Cat. Oh, none of those rollerblades and yeah. funny colors. Maybe later, maybe another time. All of Kitty's looks are in my dreams but right now we're focusing on the new one so excellent so good to see you both uh over to demanda hi i'm demanda martini uh i'm a dc-based uh drag performer uh cosplayer nonsense yada 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 um you can find me across all social media at demanda martini d-m-a-n-d-a-m-a-r-t-i-n-i um when this airs uh i will have just seen Chad at FanX Salt Lake City, which it will be so amazing. Yay! Um, and uh, I will probably be posting my brand new uh, classic Betsy Braddock Psylocke uh, look, which I'm very excited about. Um, and uh, after that, I'm kind of on a break from conventions for a bit. Uh, but uh, again, I will be going to uh, Farpoint, which is kind of like my home convention in February. And uh, very excited. Uh, I'm going to be, again, we're putting it out in the ether in hopes that, like, it comes together. But Hellfire Gala uh, Firestar uh, is mm. on is on the, the docket for um, March to go to WonderCon. So that's kind of what's Thanks. coming up for me. Demanda and I also got to team up at uh, FlameCon to do an incredible fashion review panel, which was such a huge success. We're repeating that panel here at FanX. So uh, this will, we will put this out after that's done. But if you were here, I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, over to Arturo. Hi. Um, it's been such a pleasure being with you guys. Um, Arturo, um, Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, also just a big fan of each and every one of you guys. This has been a real, real treat today um, to do this with you guys. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be going to any of these incredible events. I'll be there in spirit. I'm jealous. Uh, I will live vicariously through your photos. Um, I have nothing really to plug. So I'm going to say, go watch stream Wheel of Time. Season two just dropped. These are the like some of the greatest books. Sarah's reacting. I'm so happy. Wait. Sarah, you're on mute. mute. We can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Which just made it so much funnier. I was like screaming. Very dramatic. Okay. Yes. No, I was I literally just told somebody, oh, that's never gonna have a season two. Like they're just done, I think. And now I have to live in a world where there's a season two. That's amazing. And no, and like I'm saying this because, you know, it just streaming i guess numbers matter like we trust me as somebody who's read this entire series we need 10 seasons and it's only going to happen one season at a time and they're doing 
really, really well. It's wonderful, wonderful. So I want to just play that. Watch I'm a big wheel of time head myself. I love you just, it. I mean, like you just changed my entire reality. So thank you for the heads up. Because I thought yes. I'm not on Twitter, so I don't pay attention to anything oh, anymore. No, yeah, it just came out. It just came out and they've released only three episodes. I've only seen two of them. So I'm gonna go watch the third one now. Tomorrow's Labor Day. Am I gonna throw a chair? I'm like losing my mind. Okay. Uh, it's so okay. Good. Lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but you guys can add me. I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram and threads and Discord under Graham Alkin Lane. Uh, now, uh, at, this is the end of September. In October, we are launching a full month of all Magneto content. Front to back, the entire month is going to be Magneto. So the next episode coming out immediately after this is going to feature first an interview with J.M. DeMatteis. Uh, Anas Abdulhak is joining me for that about his new Magneto series. Then Philip C.V., Christy Porter, and Gabriella Garbero are joining me to do an in-depth review of the series Magneto Testament. And it's going to build from there. It's going to be incredible. The next uh, the next Patreon episode coming out immediately after this features the character Astra, who is nuts, uh, with my friends Jamie Faye and... Uh, and uh, uh, Anya Prosser. So uh, I'm ready to go. It's going to be super fun. And uh, by the time we put this out, I will have been at the Uncanny Experience and at FanX. So it's going to be a really fun month. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Sarah, Alicia, Justin, Demanda, and Arturo. We'll see you back here next time on Grimalkin Lane. But for now, I got to go slip out of these wet panties and into a dry martini. Thank you for listening to Graymalk and Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Graymalk and Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.